All right. Well, welcome to everyone. How many of you enjoyed your devotional time this morning? How did the did you did you try a little bit of what we talked about yesterday? Yes. Any of you get a card? <laughs> yeah, I want to share with you. This is what I gleaned this morning. What's interesting about this is that every morning we have staff worship and over there in the chapel. And the talk this morning, you know, as, he, as the pastor was talking, I, I looked at my wife, Shelly, and I just showed her this. And it was like right on the same thing he was talking about. I thought, well, maybe the Lord's really speaking to me today. But this is, this is what it says. A kind, courteous Christian is the most powerful argument that can be produced in favor of Christianity. Amen. Isn't that a treasure? Man! Yes. A kind, courteous Christian is the most powerful argument that can be produced in favor of Christianity. That was in Gospel Worker. I didn't write the... It was in Gospel Workers. A kind, courteous Christian is the most powerful argument that can be produced in favor of Christianity. So you can guess what part of my prayer was this morning. <laughs> Lord, help me to be a kind, courteous Christian, that I can be a powerful argument in favor of Christianity. And then this other one I gleaned today from the book of Amos. See good and not evil that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you. That's Amos 5.14. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a gem? So I thought, Lord, not only do I want to set my eye on good, but even when I look at people, I want to see good in people. You have some that they always go around picking at, out the negatives in people. I want to look at people and see the good in them and what God can do in and through them. And I definitely want the Lord God of hosts with me. <laughs> Amen. Gospel workers. Gospel workers. That's just uh, what I gleaned this morning. Anyone else glean something they want to share? Maybe one example. Someone had to have found a treasure this morning. All right, yes, right here in the front. Stand up and speak loud so we all can hear. I was reading in uh, Desire, excuse me, Great Controversy, Chapter 7, where it's talking about Luther's yes. tribulation, and Pastor knows a little bit of what I'm going through right now, mm -hmm. so what I pulled out is, uh, Lord, help me to feel the gratitude when persecuted for your holy cause. Mm. So that's Amen. What, that's what I'm to. Amen. Amen. I got a passage for that, too. Someone else probably knows it as well. Book of James. Chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's James 1, 2. And I'll tell you, searching the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy is just such a joy. I mean, there's so much in there. 
but there's another one here. And, and I find it here. This one is for you, Mike. You ready? First Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as some, though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with what? Exceeding joy. Then you go down to verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. It's for you, brother. Thank you. That treasure. Okay, I'm going to tell you a funny story because this is how Satan works, and I just want to share this with you. We had the best of intentions to get up and have our worship and do exactly what we're talking about and you got to do this morning. But... At 3.30 this morning, Elaine had to get up and go to the restroom. And I also had to get up and go to the restroom. And I just gently closed the door oh, no. and then slammed it shut. Oh, no. So 3.30 in the morning, we got locked out of our room. And I had to wake up um, Elder Thomas. And Elder Thomas had to wake up the man in charge of the key. So 3.30... That's how Satan works. That's and I right. I tell you. So she went to sleep right. I couldn't go to sleep. Mm. I was wide awake thinking mm. about this. And we laughed and laughed and laughed, and that just destroyed me. Mm. But I'm just saying that Satan is a wily foe. That's right. And he knows what will happen. So I missed my mm. time this morning. Mm. Mm. And that's what he does. So I just wanted to share that yep. with you. But, and I thought you'd enjoy the laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing how, how the enemy works. And yet... We know that all things can work together for what? For good. To those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. All right, come on in. We may need a... I think, is there, is there more room in the back road there too? So come on in, press together. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We can start over. That's right. Okay, well, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And we'll get uh, going here. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, what a joy, what a privilege it is to come before you once again. That we together, joining our hearts together as one, Lord, can come asking for you to be here with us. What a rich experience it is to share this time together. And Lord, I pray that you'd be here. Lord, every single one of us, we want to have a living connection with heaven. So come and be here with us. You know our hearts. So Lord, I pray that the one who knows would be the one who would speak to our hearts. I thank you, Lord. I pray that each and every one that is here this morning will be blessed for having been here. Once again, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. And I ask that my lips might be touched with the coal from your fire. Lord, if I were to say anything that would not bring glory, stop my mouth, Lord. 
But if it is for your glory, please open it and loose my tongue. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just want you to know as you're developing and growing in, in that devotional time, when you open the scriptures every day, it's going to be a, a richer, deeper experience because it, take, it takes some practice getting used to reading the scriptures and reading the spirit of prophecy in that devotional way. But I, I just wanted to make the point because yesterday I just didn't want to be unclear. Even though I'm reading the word devotionally and you're in your studies devotionally, it doesn't mean that we're not learning of the Word of God. <laughs> it's not that we're, we're not understanding the movement of Scripture, because we are reading that. We want to understand the Scriptures. But my point was, <coughs> devotional time should not be only a study experience. It should be an experience where you sense God speaking to your own heart. And the problem we have a lot of times is we'll read Scripture or we'll read the Spirit of Prophecy and our mind will immediately go to other people. And we'll start thinking, oh, if only so-and-so would do this. If only so-and-so would read this. Oh, I wish my wife could read this. <laughs> my husband could read this. And, and we, have a, we have a message for them. And yet, the message may be for us. And so that, that was my intent of uh, saying that yesterday, mm -hmm. that we want, we want the Lord God of heaven to speak to us. And it takes some learning of him to do that. That's why Ellen White calls science a prayer, I mean, prayer a science. A science is not something that is it, just caught. It's something that's practiced and learned, and you grow in that. So I pray that... That will be. I saw a hand. Yes. I, you know what you're saying? Because I struggle with, yes, it, it can be hard, but yeah. you're studying for a sermon or for a presentation mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. to learn something. Yeah, absolutely. We want, we want the heart to be fully given to the Lord, not just an understanding. Mm -hmm. That's why when you read about uh, you know, Samuel, the scripture says that he did not yet know the Lord. Well, he... He knew the Lord, he knew about the Lord, but he did not know the Lord in that deep relationship experience yet. And that's what, that's what we want to do, is we want to know the Lord. We want to know him, and we want him to have access to our hearts. All right, we better get going here. <laughs> it's just a joy, though, to, to share the Word of God together. It's just such a rich experience. But today we're looking at making prayer work. Monday we looked at the call of God for a life of power, and that life of power can only be had through a living, daily living connection with Christ. And yesterday we looked at time to pray, where we realized that we have to set time apart to pray. And God is calling us, and He's saying it's time to pray. Then we looked at an example of that time with the Lord in the morning. But today we're looking at making prayer work. How many of you know who this guy is? This is a, was a revivalist preacher who was in, the United, in, in America in the Second Great Awakening. 
You remember that there were two great awakenings. One was in the 1700s and went to the mid-1700s. And then you have another great awakening that's happening as the Lord is once again preparing people to understand the Scriptures. And what I believe is that He was moving that so the churches would be open, people would have ears to hear as the Lord was calling them to the hour of judgment in Revelation 14 and, of course, uh, Daniel 8 and verse 14. So, but he was one of those revivalists. His name is Charles Finney. Now, I don't agree with all of his theology, and I don't agree with all of his uh, methods, but he was a powerful man of prayer, and... He was a, a, a revivalist preacher, and he led countless numbers of, of people to the Lord. It's interesting to me, when I, you know, in, in my study of him, that he himself said that he, he never became a Seventh-day Adventist. He was uh, the dean of Oberlin College, a, a Bible and seminary college, but... He said that he could see as the first great awakening, I mean, second great awakening was closing, he, he could see that the Spirit of God was not among the churches like it had been before. Now, he doesn't know, but I believe it's because they were rejecting the message that the hour of judgment was upon us and that the movement of Christ from the holy place to the most holy place was happening. But this is, this is what he said here. He's just telling his story. This is in his autobiography, page 10. But it says, On one occasion, when I was in one of the prayer meetings, I was asked if I did not desire that they should pray for me. I told them no. Because I did not see that God answered their prayers. That's pretty bold. <laughs> You walk into a prayer meeting and says, oh, can we pray for you? Absolutely not. <laughs> I said, I suppose I, that's oh, a typo, need to be prayed for, for I am conscious that I am a sinner, but I do not see that it will do any good for you to pray for me. For you are continually asking, but you do not receive. You know, I, I don't know if I'd be that bold. <laughs> But I can learn from that. That we, we must be a people that when we go to our knees to pray, that God hears and answers our prayers. And today we're going to look at several ways, and some of them you'll know, maybe some of them will be new to you. But there are certain things that hinder our prayers. And unless we are sincere and honest with God, we will not be someone who can develop a life of powerful prayer. And so we're going to look at these together. The, the reality is, is that prayer does work. Amen. It does work. If it does not work, then God is not telling us the truth. And if God through His Word is not telling us the truth, then what can we trust? Prayer does work. It has shaped nations. It has turned people's lives upside down. It has 
caused the opening of the way for the, for the work of God to go forward in ways that could not have happened unless prayer was evidently working. You want to know who this is? This was a, another man. This man was greatly affected by the Welsh Revival. And his name is Rhys Howells. And he was uh, from Wales. And after this revival that happened in, in, uh, in Wales, known as the Welsh Revival, I mean, one of the most profound revivals of the 1900s, I think it was 1902, 1903, but just incredible how the Lord moved that whole area. But he was profoundly affected by that, and he began a life of prayer. And what was interesting to me in his life of prayer, do you know what started to happen? As you know, I was reading his story, he started sensing that there a life of prayer meant that there were other things that would hinder his prayers, and he began to distance himself from them. Now you're talking, this is, you know, early 1900s, so society was very different than it is today. But it just was fascinating to me, some of the things that he stopped doing. Oh, he, <laughs> close. He stopped going to the theaters. He stopped going to worldly amusements. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong. And if some need, they can even sit up here. And there's a couple of spaces back there. And there's a space here. We'll make room. We'll make room. Press in. But the thing, the thing is, is that he started realizing that his life had to be separate from the things of the world. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sports, but do you know what? He went to a, I think it was a football game, and he said as he went in there, the screaming and yelling and the competition, all those things, he just felt the Spirit of God just whisking away from him. And he said, I never again went to another one. Isn't that incredible? Now, I'm not saying that it's a sin to go to a, you know, a baseball game or something like that. But what I am saying is that in his life, he began to realize that if he was going to be close with God and have a life of power and prayer, that there are certain things that he had to distance himself from. Even in his prayers, you know, even his diet started to change. Now, this is a man, he wasn't a seventh day. He didn't have the health message, but he started having a simpler diet because he realized that that had a profound effect upon his life and upon his prayer life. Isn't that incredible? And I found this in my own life that, that as we go to our knees, the Lord starts to prune us. And the Lord starts to chasten us. And sometimes that can be a little <laughs> difficult, you know? And it's, but I, I just want to encourage you, don't be upset with the Lord for His chastening. Amen. Just know that anything that the Lord is guiding us in is because He wants that closer walk with us. So I 
thought you would enjoy enjoy that. Can we find these kinds of materials still? Mm-hmm. Yep. Reese Howell, I think he has a book called Reese Howell Intercessor. And now I, I just want to give some caution in that. You have to read these through a filter. So, you know, I say I take the, the Apostle Paul's advice, hold fast what is or cling to what is good, abhor what is evil, or in First Thessalonians five is it? Uh, you know, keep what is good and you know, get rid of that which is not. So, test all things. Test all things. This was Reese Howells. And then this guy we looked at, John Welsh. I told you before that the Lord was, in his prayers, the Lord was showing him things that were going to be coming upon the world. I mean, it's just incredible as you read these things. He's in prayer one night, and his wife comes because... He had woken up in the night. He had gone out to pray. He used to keep like a, a blanket beside his bed so when the Lord wake him in the night, he could go into the room and just have it because it was cold. You know, it, this was a long time ago, you know, cold floors, drafty rooms. But his wife was afraid for his health because he was gone so long. So she comes to find him and there he is praying. And he starts saying, Lord, enough, Lord. And then he's silent. She's just listening. And it's like he was listening to the Lord, talking to him. And so she asks him afterwards, what was, what was going on? And he was, you know, a little, so why are you listening to my prayers? <laughs> but then he, he told that the Lord was showing him some things that were coming upon the nation. And he was pleading with God for his mercy and for his help. And I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Now, I'm not saying that we should, we have to guard ourselves because we don't want to look at other people's experience and compare ours to theirs. And we shouldn't be those who are looking at, you know, these individuals and saying, Lord, if I'm going to have a powerful prayer life, you have to show me things to come. No, Lord, work in my life and let me be a blessing to others should be our prayer. But I'm telling you, the Bible says that in the last days, something is going to happen. Anyone know where that is? Along this line, in the book of Joel? Let, let me read it to you. And it shall come to pass afterward, Joel 2, 28, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall what? Prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Also, And also on my men servants and on my maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I'm telling you, he's going to pour out his spirit on those who have a close walk with him. God cannot do something great through us unless we're his. That's the reason why God has come upon men and women is because they've had a close walk with Him. And if we want the Lord to use us, whether it's to sweep the floor or to, or to preach in the pulpit, we have to have a close walk with Him. Notice this in Heavenly Places, page 83. 
Much prayer is necessary to successful effort. Prayer brings what? Prayer has subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, turned to flight the army of the aliens. Foreigners. I mean, prayer is powerful. It has worked in such a way that many do not understand the flow and events of nations. And yet those who are hidden in the closet, they can see it as the hand of God. And they know that it's the hand of God. Now, if you go and you read about Reese Howe, you'll read that while the world is being engulfed by World War II, that they are there pleading with God for him to save and for him to lead and defeat the, the uh, armies of Hitler. I mean, this is fascinating. I mean, this is a man who in his prayers, God began to tell him what was happening in, in, uh, in Wales was the Roman church was going and buying up houses and buildings all around the universities. And God put it in his heart that he was supposed to stop it. And so they were wanting to get this one house as kind of a headquarters for their thing, for their work, and, and the Catholic Church was putting a bid on it, and they're pleading with God, and God helped them get the place instead of the church. And it's just amazing to me how the Lord was working in this great controversy battle through these who are dedicated to a life of prayer. God has used the prayers of His people to change the events of history. That's how powerful prayer is. James 5.16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Second part of that verse, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The emphasis is on the effectiveness of prayer. That connection with heaven helps the, the link of heaven to come down through that for the Lord to bless and to work mightily. The prayer, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Don't miss tomorrow when we're looking at fervent prayer. You cannot miss tomorrow. It will blow you away. I'm serious. What God will do as we come to Him in fervent prayer. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 124. This is for us to just meditate on a moment before we get into these hindrances to answer prayer. I have seen an angel standing with scales in his hands, weighing the thoughts and interests of the people of God, especially the young. Why, is, why does it say especially the young? They're maybe more impressionable. But what does the Spirit of Prophecy tell us about a group of young people rightly trained? That if they were, we had a, a, a movement of our young people rightly trained, how quickly this work would be finished. In one scale were the thoughts and interest tending heaven, heavenward, and the other were the thoughts and interest tending 
to earth. And in this scale were thrown all the reading of storybooks, thoughts of dress and show, vanity, pride, etc. Oh, what a solemn moment. The angels of God standing with scales, weighing the thoughts of his professed children, those who claim to be dead to the world and alive to God. The scale filled with thoughts on earth, vanity, and pride quickly went down, notwithstanding the, that weight after weight rolled from the scale. The one with the thoughts and interest tending to heaven went quickly up as the other went down. And oh, how light it was. I'm telling you, when we come to a life of prayer, that scale is going to change places. Because you cannot have a life of prayer and also a life of the world. It cannot happen. It will not happen. There will be a constant struggle. There will be, you'll be like that reed tossed to and fro in the wind. One moment you'll be on fire. The other moment you'll be in the world. The Lord is calling us to set aside that time that He may work in us. That's why the Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. Amen. Is that we train the mind to be set always on the things of heaven. Now I know that there are mundane things that we do in this life. But let me ask you this. How long was Jesus' ministry? How long did he live before that? Jesus walked this earth ten times the length that he ministered in his public ministry. Did he have a close walk with heaven? In the mundane work of the... Of the Shop, sweeping the floor. Yeah, absolutely, he had a walk with the Lord. Even though we are going about the, the duties and the busyness of life, I need to change that busyness. The, someone came and told me, you know what busy stands for, don't you? You know what that means? Being under Satan's yoke. I just told him, I just want to be busy about the Lord's work. <laughs> Uh, what is it again? Being under Satan's yoke. So I said, okay, fine. I want to be earnest. I want to be earnest. I want to, I want to be moving according to the Lord's time. But he did. Christ moved according to that. And in the busyness of life, the, the earnestness of life, we can have that. We want our mind upon that. Now this is just incredible. I can relate this as I saw it right here, but never can I give the solemn and vivid impression stamped upon my mind. So while she's relating the words, what she saw and the impression it made on her, she could not fully and accurately portray that by the pen. As I saw the angels with the scales weighing the thoughts and interests of the people of God. I mean, friends, when it comes to prayer, one of the, I think one of the greatest, um, what do you call it? The, when you set something aside. Uh, I just lost the word. Did that happen to you? 
<laughs> distractions. <laughs> well, let me rephrase it this way. I think one of the one of the things we have lost sight of so much in this society is a time for self-examination. Self-reflection. And when you go through the day, you start that time with the Lord, you come through the day, when you come to the end of that day, take time to examine yourself. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And as you look back through the day, you can say, okay, you can see how the Lord is with you. And you start to train yourself. Say, Lord, I want you with me all the time. And I look back and think, you know, Lord, I lost sight of you there. Right there, and look what I did. And we plead with the Lord to help us and to shape us. We must have that time of self-examination. And as we do that, I believe we're going to have these impressions. We're going to see the angel of the Lord holding that scale. And we're going to look at our lives and say, Lord, I want my thoughts to be heavenward. We need that time of self-examination. I'm telling you, these are things that will ignite your prayers because you're going to have a heart that is given fully to the Lord. And our hearts are deceitfully wicked, right? But as we open them to the Lord, He's going to, he's going to read them. and He's going to help us in that. He's going to help us. But I've thought so much about that impression. Lord, help me to see that. Let that be an impression upon my heart. There are certain things that, you, that happen in your lives that make profound impressions, and you never forget them, right? I want the strongest impressions to be of the Lord revealing Himself to me. Those are the impressions I want, where I can learn of Him, and I can see Him, and, and, he, and he can relate to me, that He's helping me to become more like Him. Of course, let, let me say this. Coming to the Lord is like, I heard one pastor put it this way, it's like painting a wall. You know, when it's not very bright, oh, that wall looks fantastic. But when you get that painter's light and you, the closer, the more brightly it gets, what happens? You see more of the flaws. And that's kind of like the Christian experience. You know, sometimes we can be distanced from Christ. You'll come up to people, and you know, I've, I've heard the interviews, people come and say, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And they'll say, I think so. Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? Oh, because I'm pre a pretty good person. <laughs> That's not how we get to heaven, right? But, you know, the farther away from Christ, we can start to think we're okay. But as we get closer and closer to Him, and the light of His glory shines upon us, we see all of our brokenness all of our sinfulness and it makes us just cry out to the Lord because we know that we cannot do anything in our own strength we have to see that as we come closer to the Lord you know I have to believe that's that was part of Moses's cry Lord please show me your glory and then what did the Lord show him his character his compassion his mercy and Moses was learning from that Moses was learning of that in his own life. Look at this. Said the angel, looking at this scene, can such enter heaven? 
No, no, never. Isn't that what the book of Revelation says? Revelation 21 and 22, we see that there three times. Looking at the contrast between those who are outside and those who enter in. Oh, friends, this, this is, these are talking about eternal things. It's not that, that the Lord is making it hard for us to get into heaven. It's that He wants to prepare us to live in a place where sin does not dwell. And there has to be, we have to grow in a hatred for sin. You know, our hearts love sin. They're drawn towards it. But the Lord wants to mold and shape our hearts so that we hate sin, that we're repulsed by it. Then we look at sin and we think about that. If we were ever to even hedge toward it, it'd be like a dog returning to its what? Such a foul, nasty thought, right? That's what the Lord wants to put in our mind when it comes to sin. Tell them the hope they now possess is vain, and unless they speedily repent and obtain salvation, they must perish. Friends, we are, we are the multitudes in the valley of decision. And we want to grow in our walk with Christ. Christ, he's, he's there. He, he's ready to help us and to save us. I want to paint a bleak, a bleak picture. Christ is there to help us. He is the great and mighty intercessor. Amen. What is it? Acts 8, 26, that even the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to help us in our weaknesses. As we come and kneel to pray, we don't need to have flowery words. We just need to open our hearts and just let the Lord bring those words from our mouth. He will teach us to pray to Him. And it's a glorious thing. Yes. To pray to Him. Does it have to be out, like, out loud? Like you and me talking right now, does it have to be out loud? You can pray to the Lord in your mind. You can pray in a whisper. You can pray in a cry. You can pray aloud. But I mentioned the other day, in your time of secret prayer, I encourage you to, to learn to pray aloud. Now, some places, you know, I haven't been praying aloud here at camp meeting, you know, because we're in this little teeny tiny trailer. But I'm praying in a whisper. Uh, but the Lord just wants us to open our heart to Him. And it's wonderful. There are times where you, where you could never pray aloud, but in your mind, just send a prayer to the Lord. Send a prayer to the Lord. And I was just going to ask, do I know some had mm-hmm. encouraged me before? There's certain secret prayer because Satan can't read yeah. your thoughts. Yes. So God can read your thoughts. Yeah, Satan can't read your thoughts, but I had this question the other day. I wouldn't worry about, I've never thought about Satan because I'm praying to the God of the universe. And sometimes I hope Satan will hear my prayers <laughs> because I know that Spirit of Prophecy tells us at the sincere prayer of God's people, Satan trembles. So listen in. <laughs> but what I want, what I don't want is I don't want to have a, I don't want to face the enemy. I want Christ to face him. I want Christ to face him. I'm no match for the enemy, but Jesus is. When I pray out loud, I always ask God to make Satan flee so that I can speak to him openly. Yes, yeah. And trust me, when you open your mouth to the Lord, Satan does not want to be in the presence of the light of heaven. 
So, but pray in a way that you re can relate best and talk to the Lord. So, if, if that's silently, by all means, take that time and pray to God silently. So, that was a wonderful question. Yes. Another way to pray is in writing. Yes. Yes. So she said she uses a, a prayer journal. That's something I need to grow in. I, I'm not a journaler. I try to be. <laughs> but it is wonderful to have, a, though I have a journal, and when there are significant things, I, I put them there because I can go back and just see the power of the Lord, how He has worked for me. But um, that's a wonderful way. Is to, is to journal your prayers. Okay, we better get moving here. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was, um, That's okay. It was, as you, as you were talking, it was this one verse that came to me, and I did not remember what mm, book mm. or chapter or verse mm. that it was in, and this lady was kind enough to let me use her Bible. And I just would like to quote it, and I promise you I won't talk for the No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you're here because the Lord, the Lord had that verse to share with us. Yeah, it was. It's from Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-six. Yeah. It says, "Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, Amen. for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Yes. But the Spirit Himself Amen. makes intercession Amen. for us with groanings which cannot be uttered." Amen. That's Romans eight twenty-six. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. All right, put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Okay. I. We really need, you know, a lot more time. I thought after the first day, I'm, I'm definitely going to scare everybody away. But I'm glad you're still here with me. Okay. First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Know what it means to be serious? Sober-minded? It means that you make choices to be. And we're going to look at these hindrances to, to answered prayer here, making our prayers work. But I just want us to think, Lord, whatever it would be, I want to be, I want that channel to be opened so I can have that deeper, closer walk with you. And so, I mean, the end of all things is at hand, brothers and sisters. If God is going to raise up a people, we're at the end of time. We're going to be it or we're not. So Lord, help us to be those who are serious and watchful. Amen. So let's look at hindrances to answered prayer. First one, sin in the life. Disobedience to the word of God. All right, I'm going to have to zoom through some of these, so I'll tell you this, if, if any of you want, you can come afterwards and you can just, I'll give you the clicker and you can go through it, okay? Okay, I'm just going to go through a couple passages here. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. What does it mean to regard? This is talking about cherished sin. This isn't talking about, I, you know, I had a bad day and I snapped at my wife. 
That's not that. That we go and we, we repent of it, of course, right? Cherished sin are those things in our life that the Spirit of God is speaking to us on, but we are not willing to let go. Get into the habit where if the Lord reveals it, say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Proverbs 1, 28-31. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of what? Of their own weight. I'm telling you, friends, the path of sin is a hard path. There may be pleasure in the beginning, but that pleasure passes away and it leaves in its wake a a cesspool of misery. God gives us knowledge to free us from that. But if we refuse that, we have free will and we can eat the fruit of our own way and be filled to the full with our own fancies. 1 John 3, 21, 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. We come to the Lord and, and He's speaking and we know that we've given everything to Him. There's nothing that's withheld from Him. We're like David, create in me a clean heart, O God. We do that, the Bible says, and whatever we ask, we what? We, re- we receive from Him because we Keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Isn't that a fantastic promise? Amen. Psalm 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are where? On the righteous. Those who are following in his way. His eye is upon them and his ears are open to their cry, to their prayers. The Lord hears our prayers when we are seeking after Him to to forsake sin and to follow His way. His ears are open. But if we refuse that, if we refuse that knowledge, we cannot expect any answer from the Lord. Because he's, He's wanting to work, but we're not allowing Him to. Number two, lack of faith or unbelief. Mark eleven twenty two to 24 So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into what? Into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. I mean, that is an incredible promise and it comes from the very lips of Jesus himself. I mean, that is incredible. How much our hearts are so filled with doubt and unbelief. We believe, but we're always praying, Lord, help my unbelief. I mean, I struggle with this so much. I I know that the Lord can do it, but in my heart, I'm just saying, but Lord, I, I'm saying, Lord, if you don't do it, it's okay. But really, I'm saying that because I'm thinking, I don't want to be disappointed if the Lord doesn't do it. <laughs> Does anyone identify with that? Yes. So I'm saying, Lord, give me a strong faith 
to pray according to your will, but to believe that if it is your will, it will be accomplished. And I can see a vast difference in my prayers where I have doubted and where I've had strong belief. So I'm praying, Lord, help my own belief. Know one of the greatest ways to strengthen your faith, to remove doubt, is to speak faith. Say, Lord, I know you can do this. I know you can. It's your promise. Say it. And that's what I love about talking to the Lord out loud because it goes out your mouth and comes in your ear. Do you know you can encourage or discourage yourself by your own words that come out of your mouth? It's true. It's true. It's even different than just thinking it in your head. If you say it out loud, it goes in your mind and you hear and it reinforces it. James 1, 6 and 7, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive what? Anything from the Lord. Anything from the Lord. You know this is? You guys are really getting some history lessons here, aren't you? You'll, you'll know who it is when I say it. Remember that countenance we talked about? <laughs> You'll know who it is. George Mueller. George Mueller, the great man of prayer who the Lord used to raise up the orphanages in Bristol. I'm going to read this to you. You've probably heard this story, but to me it's just a great example of this. He was on his way to a speaking engagement. He was on a ship and... The, they weren't going to be able to make it there on time because of the, the clouds and the weather. So he comes and he says to the captain, he asks the captain uh, to take him. He says, let us go down to the chart room and pray. The captain says, I looked at that man of God and I thought my, to myself, what lunatic asylum could that man have come from? <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing, Mr. Mueller. I said, do you know how dense the fog is? So he says, let's go down and pray. I'm going to ask God to move the fog. And he looks at me and thinks, well, you know, what kind of crazy man is before me? He said, so he asked how dense the fog was, if he knew how dense it was. No, he replied, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. Know what he was doing there? He was speaking faith. He got down on his knees and prayed one of the most simple, most simple prayers. I muttered to myself that would suit a children's class where the children were not more than eight or nine years old. God isn't looking for eloquence. He's looking for a heart surrendered to him. He's looking for faith and belief. This is just incredible to me. The burden of his prayer was something like this. Isn't it wonderful we get to read his prayer? Oh Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. (laughs) One more sentence. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec Saturday. I believe it is your will. 
When he finished praying, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. <laughs> First, he said, you do not believe he will. And second, I believe he has. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? I don't know. <laughs> I'll, ha I'll, ha I'll have to get it for you. He goes on, and there is, so, and I believe he has, and there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. I looked at him, and George Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 47 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. What does that tell you? He had a life of prayer. An audience with the king is, is a life of prayer. So he, he knew the Lord. He knew, that's how he could have such faith, because he knew him. 47 years, he had never missed a day of having an audience with his king. Get up, captain, and open the door, and you'll find the fog is gone. I got up, and the fog was gone. I mean, that is the power of faith and belief. So should we trust the Lord's words when he said, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, get up and plant yourself in the sea. Next. I got to speed up here. I'm sorry. Oh, this is so painful for me. These things are just so rich to me. Not hindrances to answered prayer, not being a channel of blessing to others. Now, some of these, I said, you probably recognize. Some of them may not be, but I'm telling you, you cannot have a life of prayer and of answered prayer unless you're allowing the Lord to be a channel through your life to bless others. I mean, this is such a profound uh, thought here. Look at this. James 4, 2-3. You do not have because you do not ask. And then you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on what? Your on your pleasures. We cannot come asking of God just to be a benefit to ourselves because when we come to the foot of the cross, we see the character of Jesus. Jesus' life was a life of blessing to others. His life was never, was never one of selfishness. He never worked a miracle for his own sake. He only did that for the sake of others. Look at this, Christ Object Lessons, page 142. We are to ask blessings from God that we may communicate to others. The capacity for receiving is preserved only by what? Imparting. It's like exhaling and inhaling. As you exhale, it gives the capacity to inhale. But if you're always trying to bring in you're going to lose that capacity to receive. And it's going to destroy your life. 
We cannot continue to receive heavenly treasure without communicating to those around us. You know when you get these little treasures? You want to be able to find treasure? Get a treasure every day and share it with someone. You'll find that the Lord gives you, you become an expert in finding treasures. <laughs> I mean, he'll give you treasures, things you've read a hundred times, but then you see it again and you see a treasure that is going to be a treasure to you throughout eternity. Find a treasure, share it, and then you'll find more treasures. Someone should have said amen. Amen. Christ Object Lessons, page 139, a few pages before. Talking about Jesus daily, he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the early hours of the new day, the Lord awakened him from his slumbers. And his soul and his lips were anointed with grace. Why? That he might impart to others. His words were given him fresh from the heavenly courts. Jesus did not give people stale bread. Every day he came and received that from heaven, and then he came to give that to men. Isn't that incredible? Jesus, all of his sermons, all of his works, where did he receive that? As he spent time with his Father, God gave that to him day by day to give to others. I mean, does that not blow you away? Someone please tell me. Oh, man. His words were given him fresh from the heavenly courts. Words that he might speak in season to the weary and oppressed. Of course, Matthew 20, 28. Jesus did not come to serve, but not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Hindrance answer prayer. Lack of praise. A lack of praise. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, 317. Shall our devotional exercises consist in asking and receiving? Shall we always be thinking of our wants and never of the benefits we receive? Shall we be recipients of His mercies and never express our gratitude to God? Never praise Him for what He has done? We do not pray any too much, but we are too sparing of giving thanks. If the loving kindness of God called forth more thanksgiving and praise, we would have far more power in prayer. We would abound more and more in the love of God and have more bestowed to praise Him for. You who complain that God does not hear your prayers, change your present order and mingle praise with your petitions. When you consider His goodness and mercies, you will find that He will consider your wants. Pray, pray earnestly and without ceasing, but do not forget to praise. Praise the Lord your God. Even as you're going, like we went through yesterday, as you're walking through your time, your readings and your study, praise Him. You know, as you see something, thank Him for it. As you're praying for Him to do that in your life, say, Lord, I'm so glad that you can do this in my life. And praise Him for it. And then, I didn't talk about this yesterday, I was saving it for today. Sing to the Lord. It may may be very strange to you at first (laughs) 
to sing to the Lord. But get a hymnal and sing to the Lord. Some of the most precious times that I've sensed the Lord draw near is where, and I'm not, I, you don't want me to sing. <laughs> but I, I have to believe that it's a sweet music to his ears. And I sing to the Lord. Notice this about Jesus. The early morning often found him in some secluded place, meditating, searching the scriptures, or in prayer. With the voice of singing, he welcomed the morning light. With songs of thanksgiving, he cheered his hours of labor and brought heaven's gladness to the toil-worn and disheartened. That was Minister of Healing, page 52. This is Desire of Ages, page 73-74. This one I just love. Often he expressed the gladness of his heart by singing psalms and heavenly songs. Often the dwellers in Nazareth heard his voice raised in praise and thanksgiving to God. He held communion with heaven in song. And as his companions complained of weariness from labor, they were cheered by the sweet melody from his lips. Then they give you just a little fuller picture of Jesus. I mean, he was a man of sorrows, and yet he was a man that brought cheerfulness and the joy of heaven to people's lives. I mean, I, when I was first understanding this, you know, and the Bible says that the Lord rejoices over us with singing. Where is that in? Zephan- Zephaniah 3.17, is it? 3.17, I think. But it goes on. His praise seemed to banish the evil angels. So if you're worried about the devil listening to your prayers, what should you start doing? Start singing. (laughs) Banish them. Do you know what? This is just, I have to share this with you. If someone comes to you and they're complaining and they're talking or negative about someone, you know what Ellen White says that we should do? If they, when someone comes to tear someone down around us, we should never allow that to happen. If someone needs thoughtfulness and counsel and someone to listen to because they're going through a difficult life, I'm not talking about that. But if they're being negative and just being unchristlike, it says if you can't turn them, start singing the doxology. So don't even try to argue with them. Just start singing the doxology. And what is that? Praise God. Praise God. From you can imagine. You're standing with someone and they're all, and you're thinking, Lord, what can I do? And you start singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? If anything, they're going to be like, what in the world is happening here? She says, start singing the doxology. So if you feel the devil coming, start singing. Banish the evil angels, and like incense, fill the place with fragrance. The minds of his hearers were carried away from their earthly exile to the heavenly home. Add prayer, a praise and song to your prayers. It'll enrich them. It will enrich them. All right. Oh, our time. Okay. Robbing... God. Robbing God. We usually read Malachi 3, 8 through 11, 
Let's go back one verse. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will what? Return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? The Lord tells us right here how to return. How to return to him. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And the Lord says in tithes and offerings. There is a direct link between answered prayer and our faithfulness to God. And it's not that God needs our money. It's just that it's showing that He is our Lord and our Master. And that we understand that all things are His already. It's our trust in Him. And this is so critical to understand. We must be faithful to the God of our lives in every area. And one little thing. The difference between being a thief and a robber. A thief comes in the night and comes when no one's home. A robber robs in the face of the Accosts you. Right in yeah. their face. Yeah. Is that right, police officer? My husband is a police officer. <laughs> All right. I know the difference. Yeah. You're robbing God right in his face. That's a very wonderful insight. So she said, and I'm saying that also for those who will be listening later, robbing is different than being a thief. Thief comes in the night, or someone who robs does it right in your face. They're more bold and they accost you right there. So it's, it's a defiance against heaven. It's a defiance. Notice this, Christ Object Lessons 144. We are to ask blessings from God that as the giver of every blessing, God claims a certain portion of all we possess. This is His provision to sustain the preaching of the gospel. And by making this return to God, we are to show our appreciation of His gifts. But if we withhold from Him that which is His own, how can we claim His blessing? If we are unfaithful stewards of earthly things, how can we expect Him to entrust us with the things of heaven? We want the treasures of heaven we want those gems and those things to share. How can God entrust us with those if we're not being faithful stewards to Him? Look at this sentence here. It may be that here is the secret of unanswered prayer. Because, it's, and I'm adding this, and I believe it's a, a scriptural addition. It's not just returning, it's being cheerful in it. It's, it's saying, Lord, I'm happy to give you this for the sake of your work. I'm happy to do this to see the cause of Christ press forward. I'm happy to do this because I know that you've blessed me with all this and so much more. You know what? We're talking, if you have one dollar, it's given a dime to the Lord's tithe. And I encourage people to do a double tithe and give a dime to the Lord's work in offering. And of course, the offerings are as the Lord has blessed you and as you are able. But the tithe is the Lord's. But don't think that we don't rob the Lord in offering. That's what he said in tithes and, and in offerings. Okay, I have to go on here because I got just a few minutes. Unkindness. 
to wife and children. Maybe I should say to spouse and children. To your wife or to your husband, to your children. Remember this here that I read this morning? A kind, courteous Christian is the most powerful argument that can be produced in favor of Christianity. If that is true out in the world, it is doubly true inside your home. Doubly true. We need to be kind and courteous to our wives or to your husbands, to your children. 1 Peter 3, 7 Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, you're speaking of the wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Not that they are weaker in the sense that they're not as good, but they're more precious. Our wives should be the most precious things to us. And we should hold them with tender care. And that's what this is here. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may what? Not be hindered. How many times? The, this has been such a blessing to me. You know, I'm human, and I get irritated sometimes. <laughs> I try not to, but sometimes I just, Lord, help me. There have been times, there have been times where I have wanted so badly to be irritated. If you know my wife, no one could ever be irritated with her. She is just the most lovely, wonderful creature under heaven. But it's me that is the problem. <laughs> but there have been times where I've wanted to be, and I think, Lord, it's almost been selfish even, and that sounds terrible. But I thought, Lord, I don't want my prayers to be hindered. I don't want my work for you to be hindered. How could I ever? And then the Lord solves me and I think, Lord, not just that, I'm going to be a blessing to my wife too, right? But that has saved me so many times where I've wanted to even snap at my children. I think, I can't do that. I cannot do that and stay in that right relationship with my God. We must, the Lord has to help us in this. There's a reason why we, we have that sometimes. It's because in, in the marriage relationship, the Lord says they become one, right? And we think we can control ourselves, so we think we can control our, our spouse. <laughs> and we can't. We can't. But we can love them. And we can cherish them. And by God's grace, we can have our prayers heard. Child Guidance, page 499. I have seen a father who, after reading a portion of Scripture and offering prayer, would often, almost as soon as he had risen from his knees, begin to scold his children. How many times after church, people go and they get in their car, they've just been with the Lord, and on the way home... What's the atmosphere of that car? I only say that because I've had that experience. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us. Let us not be the one who goes into the audience chamber of God but comes out unchanged. We have to be changed when we're at the Lord. How could God answer the prayer He had offered? 
How could he do it? And if after scolding his children, a father offers prayers, does that prayer benefit the children? No, they've bruised and hurt and they've damaged the view of God to the children. Do you know, as, especially as fathers, we are a picture of God to our children. Isn't that a frightful thing? <laughs> oh, we are all they know until they're old enough to understand and relate to the Father in heaven. Does that prayer benefit the children? No, not unless it's a prayer of confession to God. <laughs> I, I've had to pull my children together and say, can you please forgive me? Can I pray together with you and ask the Lord to forgive me? I've had to do that, and I just, as I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, help my children to, <laughs> to see you and not me. Um, but we want our prayers to be heard. We cannot be a, a public Christian and a private heathen. Does that make sense? Yes. Cannot be a public Christian and a private heathen. We have, we have to be, how does the song go? Lord, I want to be a Christian in my home. In my heart, in my home. Okay, last one here. We want to be able to be conformed to the will of God. And all of these really come down to this. Will we allow God's will to rule our life? Whether it's in what we're asking or what it is the Lord is asking of us, will we be surrendered to him. You know this passage, Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. First John five fourteen and fifteen. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. I want to close with this statement. I think by now you can respect this man. He said, George Mueller, nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. You want to know the Lord's will? Nine-tenths of it. Nine-tenths of it is just letting the Lord do whatever. That's, if you want to know what the Lord's will is, say, Lord, I'm willing to let you do or to be whatever your desire is. So friends... God can give us a life of deeper prayer and deeper devotion to Him. And I pray that that will be yours. I want to close in prayer. I'm sorry I'm a minute late. Let us pray, Father in heaven.
Thank you so very much. Thank you that it is the simple prayer of faith that we bring to you that can move the arm of the Almighty. I pray for everyone here, Lord. I pray that you would help them. I pray that you would help me, Lord. Draw us ever closer to you. Lord, whatever is in our lives that would be a hindrance to that closeness with you. I pray in my own heart and I pray that everyone here is saying that in their heart. That Lord, whatever you desire, we want to be surrendered to your will. That with Jesus we say, not my will, but yours be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.